This is a quote from Ajahn Chah. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful rare animals will come to drink at the pool, and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. Your mind will become still in any surroundings like a clear forest pool. What is this stillness of mind that the Venerable Ajahn Chah is pointing us to? This is Ajahn Amaro from his book, Small Boat, Great Mountain, which I recommend to everyone. The aim of practice is subjectless, objectless awareness. The aim of practice is subjectless, objectless awareness. The heart rests in the awareness, the quality of open, spacious knowing. And there is the recognition of the mind's own intrinsic nature. The mind's own intrinsic nature. It is empty, lucid, awake, and bright. Empty, lucid, awake, and bright. So this is tonight's examination, tonight's reflection, tonight's exploration opening to the very nature of awareness itself. Not engaging the frontal lobes in this, but rather engaging the intuitive body, engaging the felt sense of knowing. The felt sense of knowing awareness. Awareness itself, not the object of awareness, not the subject, I knowing some object, you subject knowing some object, but this nature of this vast awareness, subject objectless, going on. Remember, no frontal lobes. This is from Upasaka Key, wonderful woman, and her book, Pure and Simple. If you know, and by know she means aim or keep your attention at, if you know right at your inner awareness and make it your constant stance, there's nothing at all, there's nothing at all, no need to take hold of anything, no need to label anything, no need to give anything names. Right where craving arises, right where it disbands, that's where you'll know what nibbana is like. Nibbana is simply this disbanding of craving. That is what the Buddha stressed over and over again. All these people pointing to something, so many people pointing. Ajahn Buddhadasa, this emptiness is self-existent. This emptiness is self-existent. Nothing can touch it, concoct it, or improve it. This emptiness of awareness he's speaking of. This emptiness is self-existent. Nothing can touch it, concoct it, or improve it. This is the eternal state for it knows neither birth nor death. The plot thickens. 
It's empty, yet it's awake and lucid. And it's neither birth, it knows neither birth nor death. At this level of opening, we're opening to something that is mysterious. Mind you, not magical. Spiritual practice moves in its early stage, its naive stage, where it's magical oriented to knowing, to acknowledging the unfathomable mystery. So the mysteriousness becomes alive for us without our having to know it because it is mysterious. That's what we know about it. And that's enough, at least for where we are now in our practice. At least that's my experience. So uh, he goes on, Ajahn Buddhadasa goes on and says, we should call the mind emptiness. We should call the mind emptiness. But because of its awareness, we call it mind. Something's being pointed to here that's a bit paradoxical that we can't logically get. We can't deduce or induce this. It's not that kind of a thing. We like kind of, we just open to it. We just. This is the, the Kawada Sutta and the Long Discourses. Where do water, earth, fire, and wind have no footing? Where do water, earth, fire, and wind have no footing? Where are long and short, coarse and fine, fair and foul, name and form, brought to an end? Consciousness, which is non-manifestive, Consciousness which is non-manifestive. It's not consciousness that's not involved in objects. Consciousness that's not involved in knowing objects. Consciousness where there is no subject knowing something. Consciousness which is non-manifestive, limitless, not becoming anything at all. Here, water, earth, fire, and wind have no footing. Here, long and short, coarse and fine, fair and foul, name and form are all brought to an end. With the cessation of consciousness, each is here brought to an end. So everybody suggesting something for us and what we, just as we are, might get a hint of, a taste of, a foreshadowing of. This is from the uh, Udana Sutta, the Buddha's words. There is that sphere of being where there is no earth, no water, no fire, nor wind, no experience of infinity of space, of infinity of consciousness, of no thingness, or even of neither perception nor non-perception. Here there's neither this world nor another world, neither moon nor sun. This sphere of being I call neither a coming nor a going, nor a staying still, neither a dying nor a reappearance. It has no basis, no evolution, and no support. It is the end of dukkha. Call it original mind, as Ajahn Chah does in another sutta that I brought, but I'm not going to read. Call it non-dual awareness, as the Ajahn Amaro refers to it at one time. Call it intuitive awareness, as the Venerable Sumedho refers to it. Uh, you can call it, uh, at least some uh, teachers do, call it chitta. C-H-I-T-T-I, as this kind of, Ajahn Chah would sometimes use that word for this kind of consciousness. It's a confusing word because in the um, yoga 
the yoga uh, tradition in India, chitta means something a little different. So if you come from that background, just leave that word alone. <laughs> it's too confusing. And then... Ajahn Chah, again. Ajahn Chah liked to uh, ask questions of his, of his monastics where he would challenge them with one kind of question or another. And the last question before he died, before his health got so uh, bad that he couldn't do this anymore, was this little series of questions that I'm going to ask you. It starts with, have you ever seen still water? That is non-moving water. Have you ever seen still water? Nod your head if yes, I want to see. So everyone seems to have seen still water. Uh, this is described as they would nod, yes, of course we've seen still water before. At the same time, they were probably saying, now that's a strange question. But everyone was very respectful to Ajahn Chah as he was one of the Thailand's great meditation masters. Then he would ask, well then, have you seen flowing water? Have you seen flowing water? Everybody in the room has seen flowing water. Then he would ask, have you ever seen still flowing water? Still flowing water. This is this paradox. This is like how to open to this, the still flowing water. Uh, he would explain that the mind's nature is still, yet it's flowing. It's flowing, yet it's still. He would use the word chitta for the knowing mind, the mind of awareness. The chitta itself is, to is totally still. It has no movement. It is not related to all things that arise and cease. It is silent and spacious. Mind, objects, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touch, thoughts, and emotions flow through it. Problems arise because the clarity of the mind gets entangled with some sense impressions. The untrained heart chases the delightful, runs away from the painful, and as a result finds itself struggling, alienated, and miserable. skipping some, by refusing to get entangled with any sense impressions, we find refuge in that quality of stillness, silence, and spaciousness, which is the mind's own nature. The mind's own nature. Still and still flowing. Flowing and yet still. Many of you have made passing references to uh, some taste, noticing glimpses of, of this uh, knowing capacity of mind that's uh, independent of what's being known. And it has a, um, it's, it's got its own um, qualities, as you heard people saying. Uh, at one point, Ajahn Chah uh, says to the monastics, you know, you're looking for the horse that you're riding. <laughs> Pointing to this intrinsic nature that we, that already exists, that already is the true nature. So, this awareness is consciousness as a phenomena, not a function. It's not an object, this kind of awareness, this, this a particular kind of consciousness that, that I'm referring to as awareness, that others refer to as awareness. It is not an object. It's no thingness. There's no thingness there. When we look at it, we see the emptiness. All of us can see that emptiness. We're not supposed to believe anyone. We can see, uh, even if it's just for a glance, uh, just a small, quick glance, we see that it truly is empty. And if there's a stillness of mind that gives us a little more time, we do see the brightness of it, its lucidness. 
uh, I would say it's radiating quality, among other things. This awareness is not conditioned. It's not a conditioned. It's not uh, as I, this would, there's much uh, controversy about this in, in uh, the various Buddhist traditions. Uh, in the Tibetan schools, they've really had major fights over this for over a thousand years. But it is, I am, I'm suggesting that, is, that in my experience, it is not conditioned by the conditioned things that arise and pass. It reflects those things that arise and pass. But it is not a thing. That's why it's not conditioned. It's not an aggregate because there's nothing there. You can't find anything. You can't touch anything. It's not of that order. And therefore, it's, it relates to this unconditioned, unborn, unmanifest. It's sometimes referred to as a field of awareness, and that can be very helpful, I think, at times as we're looking for it. But it's not like it's this moving field, but it's not still either. It's not, it's not on the spectrum in that way. It's, it's still and still moving is pointing to this other nature of it. It's other nature. It is not engaged in what's being known. It's not engaged in what's being known. And therein lies the freedom that it is, it is not engaged in this way. So, as you think about it for yourself, you may go, I kind of know what he's talking about, or I have some sense of this, or if I read other things or heard other people talk about it, you might just... Not trying to figure something out here. Like we're, we're moving into a space. Moving into a space. Moving into a felt sense. Whole rooms filled with this awareness maybe. How does one directly access it? One way is that we sometimes just fall into it. I've certainly done that at times, and I've heard many a yogi, uh, again, in, in a, a slight way or passing through way or a more real sense of, what's this way? Uh, you just fall into it because as we practice long enough and the mind gets still and all this, we, we kind of just get these glimpses. Or we get it by inclining the mind. So just try that for a moment. Just... Uh, just close your eyes for a moment and just just invite the knowing of this awareness, the stillness of mind that's aware, this knowing capacity. that go. So over and over again, you can invite this knowing of, of this awareness, just a slight inclining of the mind, just dropping into it in that way. Or you can take qualities that you know for sure that you've already experienced briefly or in longer periods of time, such as stillness, such as equanimity, such as spaciousness, and from those qualities, like a complete silence, a stillness, this complete equanimity, what's there? When everything is, is dropped away, what's there? Has knowing, this capacity of knowing disappeared just because it's not manifesting? Again, just try that for a moment. Take stillness, let the mind come to stillness. 
remove interest from any objects. Just the still mind, empty mind. What's left is this awareness. Letting go of that. We can also, at least that sometimes some people, none of these work all the time for anybody. These are just from my own experience base in various ways that I've worked through this. For those of you who have been into the jhana practice, uh, this can, uh, going through the jhana practice, he, in one of the quotes when he was saying neither space nor infinite consciousness, neither perception nor non-perception, that whole sequence in that quote, those are the immaterial jhanas. And through those immaterial jhanas, uh, it, it's, uh, for some people, sometimes, it's possible to access this in a kind of strong, steady way. Sometimes it's evoked by the presence of someone who's dropping into that. You ride in on their stillness. Just ride in. It's in the vibe, it's in the field of the, there's just a quality of presence and you just tune into that presence and ride in. Letting that go. Something that I've ask a number of people to do retreats, long retreats like this through the years, is this uh, something that I first heard uh, Guy Armstrong express, which I thought he did such a great job of expressing this. It's probably 20 years ago when he said this, 18 years ago, something like that, which he, in which he said, it's like, it's like you're, seeing, you're seeing the sun light up objects so the planets are being lit up, that you're seeing light going out into the emptiness of space, and you just stop for a moment. And then you turn around and you look at the source. So knowing is flowing into the known. And we are so accustomed by the stimulation of objects. Our survival depends on being awake to the objects, to knowing objects and responding to them so that we don't get eaten or, and that we find something to eat and, so, and on and on and on. You've all heard these modern references to the survival on the savannah. It's very in right now. So uh, the, uh, the, this is instead of that looking out at objects, and this includes even looking out at our relationship to objects that we call mindfulness, you just, you have the sense of that objects are being known and you stop, you turn around to look at the knowing itself. Very um, strong sensation. You can try this a number of times before it ever kicks in. It may never kick in for you. You may not have any interest in this. This is an exploration. This is a kind of offering. So we're going to do this one together also. Closing your eyes again. I want you to know your feet on the floor the sides, tops, bottoms of the feet, whatever's touching earth. Move the attention to the pelvis, to the buttocks. You're conscious of this and you're mindful that you're conscious of it. Earth element being known, 
earth element being known. Earth elements like this. Earth elements being known. Earth element is like this. Earth element is being known. I'm mindful of earth element. Earth element being known. And then stop. And just turn. Turn to the source of knowing. Let this go as well, please. Likewise, if you're interested in exploring this area, this last part of our retreat or some future retreat, you can do reflective questions or inquiry questions too that uh, I often use with people is what is knowing? these objects. What is knowing these objects? Objects are being known. There's no dispute of that. You're looking at me. You're hearing my voice. You're seeing whatever is in front of you as color, as the texture of the floor. There's no question that objects... I don't think there's a person in here that doubts objects are being known. But what's knowing this object? What is that that's knowing objects? So that's a kind of inquiry for you. Another one in this regard is uh, where is this knowing occurring? Where is this knowing? Where is it? Where does it exist, this awareness? Where is awareness? The brain is an aggregate. All of the cells, all the neurons, all of those synapses, they're all aggregate. They're all coming and going. And they're all being, you know, every seven years we got a new body. So where is this awareness exactly? An inquiry. And then a, a very simple one that'll be the last one I'll give you as an example that again I'd like to have us do together for a moment. And it sort of starts out the same as that turning around. But this is a little more maybe simplified or requires less a, a moment of faith or imagination or something. And now I'd like you to take your hands, close your eyes, take your hands, put your hands touching each other in some way so that you really know the felt sense of hands in this moment. So note some things about the hands. They're warm, they're cool, They're comfortable, they're not comfortable. They feel heavy, they feel light. They feel hard, they feel soft. There's a burning sensation in the hands. There's a numbness in the hands. There's vibration in the hands. There's pulsation in the hands. Whatever is it that you know about this object we're calling hands. Now that's mindfulness as you start to know it in more depth. You've had the consciousness of hands that arose like vinyana, one of the five aggregates of knowing hands. And now you're bringing this intended awareness of, of to hands, this intended mindfulness. I should have said a better word. This intended mindfulness of hands. So you're mindful of the quality of hands now also be mindful of how you're relating to this moment of knowing hands. Are you thinking this is silly? Are you going, oh, you know, my hands, I need to use some hand lotion when I get out of this retreat. Or, oh, you know, I really, I'm so deep in, the hands are so alive to me. It may be profound, shallow, moving around a lot, just one thing. How are you relating to hands? You notice, and is it pleasant or unpleasant? You might notice that. You might notice that there's any mind states that get elicited from being aware of hands. This is mindfulness. 
of hands. So there was vinyana, the moment the five aggregate consciousness that knew there was hands. This is mindfulness that's knowing our relationship to the object and how we're relating to it. So it's seeing it more clearly. It's seeing it in the way that would allow us to choose non-suffering over suffering. Very useful, this mindful expression of awareness. But then also notice that you know, right now for yourself, notice that you know that you are being mindful of your hands. If you've lost the mindfulness and you're off chattering about something, come back. Be mindful of the hands. Feel hands as a moment of consciousness. Be mindful of the relationship. And then pulling back just one step to the knowing you know. So you know you're being mindful of hands. Hands are still the object. Being mindful of hands is still going on. But there's some part of the mind that knows you know. Is this not true? Take that knowing as your object just now. Hands now become in the background. In the foreground is this knowing. This phenomena of knowing that's not a thing, that's not a process. It's just knowing. It's empty but not dead, this knowing. It's spacious but not defined by space. Knowing is like this, the phenomena of knowing, taking refuge in the awareness that does not take birth nor death, this knowing. And let that go, please. So if we were going to, um, uh, again, we're interested in the felt sense here. We're not interested in figuring this out. We're being available for experience to happen to us. Rilke, in his uh, poems from the Book of Hours, uh, points to this, uh, this phenomena in a very different way. He says, no. My life is not this precipitous hour through which you see me passing at a run. Why isn't that like our minds, how fast it's moving? This constancy of arising and passing, rising and passing, rising and passing, rising and passing. No, my life is not this precipitous hour through which you see me passing at a run. I stand before my background like a tree. Of all my many mouths, I am but one, and that which soonest chooses to be dumb. I am the rest between two notes. I am the rest between two notes. How would you characterize the rest between two notes? It's empty. It's empty. There's no coming and going at that moment. It's empty. It's completely empty. It's still. I am the rest between two notes which struck together sound discordantly because death's note would claim a higher key. Life and death. Coming and going. Life and death. Taking birth. Taking death. I am the rest between two notes which struck together sound discordantly because death's note would claim a higher key. But in the dark pause, trembling, the notes meet harmoniously. Life and death meet harmoniously when we rest in the knowing. 
This is not a theory. This is an experience to be explored for ourselves. Is this true or not? Look for yourself. How do we live with the ultimate insult to the ego that we're all going to die? That everyone that we love will die and that we too will die. How do we live with that? How do we live with all of the opposites? Where is there a refuge? Where is there a rest for the ego, a rest for this, for this uh, uh, knowing of objects? How do we reconcile ourselves? Where do, we, where do we find a way to keep moving through life, keep dancing with life? I am the rest between two notes, which struck together sound discordantly, because death's note would claim a higher key. But in the dark pause trembling, the notes meet harmonious, and the song continues sweet. And the song continues sweet. T.S. Eliot puts it in very different language, but pointing to the same thing. And I, he uses this word, uh, eribang, which means like a kind of exhilaration. But he does not, by that, he does not mean exuberance. It's not an exuberance, but it's kind of a lifting, this a wave of well-being, a sense of well-being. This is from... Uh, the four quartets. At the still point of the turning world, neither flesh nor fleshless, neither from nor towards, at the still point, there the dance is. The rest between two notes. At the still point of the turning world, neither flesh nor fleshless, neither from nor towards, at the still point, there the dance is but neither arrest nor movement, and do not call it fixity, where past and future are gathered, neither movement from nor towards, neither ascent nor decline, except for the point, the still point, there would be no dance, and there is only the dance. I cannot say there we have been, I'm sorry. I can only say there we have been, but I cannot say where. Repeating, I can only say there we have been, but I cannot say where. And I cannot say how long, for that is to place it in time. Coming the best description of, in lay terms I've ever heard of, of freedom. The inner freedom from the practical desire the release from action and suffering, released from the inner and the outer compulsion, yet surrounded by a grace of sense, a white light, still and moving, eribang without motion, concentration without elimination. Repeating, the inner freedom from the practical desire. First, tanha. The inner freedom from the practical desire the release from action and suffering, release from the inner and the outer compulsion, yet surrounded by a grace of sense, a white light, still and moving, eribang, without motion, concentration, without illumination, without illumin- elimination, without elimination. Ajahn Sumedho's the one point that includes everything. The still point, at first it's one point like the one point on the breath or one point on a color, a little color plate and then gradually the one point that includes everything. This awareness where it's all together, where, the, where it's all moving and yet this awareness is still and everything's included. All the dukkha, everything's included. And it can feel so perfect, just as it is. So perfect. I sometimes personally use this word, pure consciousness, to mean, again, this is just, this is not, 
the Buddha's words are nobody's words but mine here, so I uh, hear with a grain of salt. I use pure consciousness to refer to those moments when the mind is so still that it only knows consciousness. So there's only consciousness. But consciousness knows consciousness. You following me? You are still present. You know consciousness, but you're, there's no other objects. There's just this phenomenon of consciousness being known. I call, that, I call that pure consciousness for myself to distinguish. But there's this other experience, which was referred to in all those quotes at the beginning, which I call pure awareness, where there is awareness, but there is no knowing of awareness. Awareness is neither a subject nor an object. There is only awareness, but there's no subject, no object. And it is only known when we leave that state. That is only then can it be known in reflection, in memory. Subject, objectless awareness. Pure consciousness is one form of that. This knowing quality that, would, that, that empowers our knowing of objects, this, this capacity of knowing that empowers mindfulness, that empowers vijnana and the five aggregates. And then resting further back, subject, no subject, no object, no awareness, just awareness, no awareness of, non-dual, non-only being, awareness just being. For me, the, the, the realization of bodhicitta, that kind of feeling, has, um, has some of this in it. And it's, been, it's meant a lot to me in this regard. And um, I want to read one more little piece of poetry talking about this. And it has to do uh, with, you know, if you take, uh, if you take the... Um, the seven factors of awakening that we've gone over in some detail, and you start with the mindfulness, and you go through all seven factors, where do you end up? Equanimity, right? Right? Equanimity. If you take the four Brahma-Viharas, and you start with metta, and then you go to Karuna, Mudita, where do you end up? Upeka. they end up in the same place. The same place. So the wisdom and the love have this common place in our, our evolution of our realizations. So they're not separate in that way. Do you see why that would be true? It's like a V it's like it's like either way we come to this still point of the equanimity but that still point is not dead it's still in its in its purer forms it's empty but i in my own experience this the bodhicitta feeling of this this mind heart release there's some sense of of benignness and for lack of a better word, I think we end up calling it love. But uh, for me, that the word I have ended up most comfortable with is benignness. Some benignness that may allow the world to exist. Some benignness that allows um, babies to thrive because they have an interest. There's, I use this word uh, uh, eros uh, because of... Um, uh, if you, if you watch babies, you know they really get interested in things. Uh, Anushka's talked about the babies putting things in their mouth in order to know them and all this. There's a, they it's essential for the brain to develop that there be this interest, and that interest has an eros to it. It's got a it's an attraction. There's an attraction of the of this of this knowing to an object. This is to exist in this world. We need this movement of the knowing to an object. If there's no movement, there's no life. You can't, 
If you're not moving at all, you're dead. There's all of these endless things. I could sit here and I'm not a not trained and I can name probably a couple hundred things that are moving in you just as a, one thing after another. So there's this movement. So what is it, where's the pulse of all of this? You know, where's the pulse of all of this? Where might it be? In this field of awareness maybe? Is there not a benignness that allows something to exist and not exist? Why does this happen? So again... Um, the way that the way that um, uh, Eliot says this, T.S. Eliot says this, and he's talking about a very Buddhist uh, paradox, and he's talking about our movement towards objects, which is tanha, the thirst, t- the thirst that causes in the second noble truth, the thirst makes us move towards objects. So desire makes us move towards objects. But desire has this problem. The ear is burning, the, the eye is burning, da-da-da-da-da. You know, as the Buddha says, burning with what? With greed, with aversion, with delusion. I mean, it's, just, it's this wanting mind. So it's, here's this beautiful world. And yet, there's this burning quality, this paradox. How does it get resolved? How does this, how do, how do we hold this other than uh, identifying with what desire. Not condemning desire. The Venerable Sumedho says desire is the natural energy of this realm. It is the clinging of desire that causes the suffering. The clinging, the grasping of what is desirable. Not the desire itself. So, Eliot reflects on this. His exploration is this way. Desire itself is movement, not in itself desirable. Love is itself unmoving, only the cause and end of movement. Desire itself is movement, not in itself desirable. You see why. You know why. You've watched it. You're well qualified to be experts in this. If you got the poetry chops, maybe you could write your own version. Desire itself is movement, not in itself desirable. Love is itself unmoving, only the cause and end of movement. Timeless and undesiring. Love is itself unmoving, only the cause and end of movement. Timeless and undesiring, except in the aspect of time. This is the manifest world. Love is unmoving. This kind of love, this bodhicitta feeling, this emptiness, this awareness, is unmoving, except caught in the aspect of time. How does it manifest in time? Except through movement. This is the paradox spilled out for us all. It's true for all of us. We see our clinging minds, and yet it's only through movement that we can manifest the most wholesome qualities, employ the most skillful means. It's paradox. Desire itself is movement, not in itself desirable. Love is itself unmoving, only the cause and end of movement timeless and undesiring except in the aspect of time, caught in the form of limitation between unbeing and being, between the non-manifest and the manifest, between unbeing and being. Sudden in a shaft of sunlight, even while the dust moves, there rises the hidden laughter of children in the foliage. Quick, now, here, now, always, ridiculous the waste sad time stretching before and after ridiculous the waste sad time stretching before and after here now we started this retreat here now ridiculous the sad waste time before and after Only in this moment, 
Only in this moment can we participate in life's unfolding. And from where? But from this feeling of love, from all these Brahma-viharas, utilizing all of the seven awakening factors to, to be the most wise in our love. Ridiculous the way sad time before and after. Let's sit for a moment. Without any doing, just gently incline the mind to the feeling of awareness, to the sense of knowing as the phenomena. You already are this knowing. It's intrinsic. Just rest back in it, here, now. Know you know knowing not interested in other objects. Desire itself is movement, not in itself desirable. Love is itself unmoving, only the cause and end of movement. Ridiculous the waste sad time stretching before and after. Letting loose of the words, staying with the felt sense, any inspiration, any intuitive feeling, trusting. So appreciate your coming to hear the Dhamma. Such an honor to get to share it with you. Tonight, uh, Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.